Well, good morning, St. Paul's. It's really good to be here, both those who are St. Paul's in the room and those who are St. Paul's online. I think that's the camera right in front of me. It looks like one. Uh, we want to welcome all of you today, and uh, we know that it's good to be together in the Lord, and I'm just really excited to be here. Uh, Ryan is such a good friend of mine, and I'm so happy uh, for us to be able to do this and uh, for him to be preaching at our church. And, um, you know, I'm one of those preachers that I, I'm going to share a confession. I don't really like to listen to other preachers. I mean, you know, they're okay every once in a while, you know. But when you do something for a living, you don't necessarily in your free time want to go online and listen to a bunch of sermons. Uh, but there is one person I listen to, and it's your pastor. So your pastor, I think, is really, really great. And uh, if I am going to do it, I feel like a commercial. I don't often listen to other pastors, but when I do, it's Ryan Spooner that I choose, that's for sure. So I'm very honored to be here and uh, very excited that uh, he is preaching um, at our church as well. And I just believe in the kingdom of God and that we're the family of God and that we need to come together and break down walls in any way and every way that we can. Amen. All right. So today I want to talk about this story about Jesus and Peter, but to get into it, I want to back up a little bit as I like to do. So have any of you heard the term Easter eggs as it relates to movies? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just raise your hand. I know you're not a hand raising church, but this is a warm up exercise. So an Easter egg is something that's kind of hidden in there, something you don't see right away, like an Easter egg, right? And it's a little something that the director might put in that's kind of an inside joke or, you know, something that's, you know, kind of lets you know something's going to happen or sometimes even advances the message of what's going on. But it's not something that's apparent. It's something you have to hunt for. And then when you find it, you're like, oh, that's so cool. So for instance, in the movie, The Godfather, the, the movie, The Godfather, right? Some of you may know this. Every time someone's about to die, there's oranges in the picture. There's oranges on the table. There's oranges somewhere. And that's a cue that becomes a visual clue that someone is, is not going to make it past the next scene. Or on a lighter note, many of you like Back to the Future, right? And so remember in Back to the Future, at the end of the movie, there's the Lone Pine Mall, right? But in the beginning of the movie, it was the Twin Pines Mall, right? Because when Marty went back in time, he knocked over one of those trees, right? And so in the future, it's the Lone Pine Mall. And while that's kind of a funny little Easter egg, it also furthers the message uh, that what we do has consequences in the future. So it's another way that the message gets advanced. Well, I believe that the Gospels contains an Easter egg that I think is really fun and really important. So before I get into this story, I want to tell you about the Easter egg, I think, that sets up this story. And that's found in Mark chapter 16, verse 7. It's when the women are going to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning with the spices to prepare, right? And the tomb is empty, of course, and then the stone has been rolled away. And there's an angel there. And he said he's not here. He's risen. But go into Galilee and tell the disciples and Peter that he's going to meet you there. And there's the Easter egg and Peter. Why is Peter singled out? Why does Peter need a special reminder that Jesus is not just going to meet them all, but he wants Peter especially to know that he's going to be there to meet Peter? Well, many scholars believe that Peter is actually the author of the Gospel of Mark. That Mark was someone that wrote down Peter's reflections, and uh, so it may be that Peter himself is, is working through a particular issue about seeing the resurrected Jesus. Well, what would be that issue? Well, obviously, it's that Peter denied and, you know, in a way betrayed Jesus in a very big way. And when that happens, when you have that kind of failure, when you've betrayed a friend that much, when you've let them down in the worst possible way, you may not be so excited that they're coming into town to meet you. You may be a little unsure of exactly what that's going to look like or exactly what Jesus is going to say. But the angels wanted the women to take the message to the disciples and Peter. He may have even felt like, I'm not even a disciple anymore. 
I, I'm not even worthy anymore. But go tell the disciples, and especially Peter, make sure that guy Peter knows that I'm coming, and I'm coming to see him. And that's why I think this narrative in John chapter 21 is so important, because it brings us the resolution to that whole dilemma. This encounter with Jesus and Peter was important for Peter, but it was also important for the early church, and I believe that it's important for us today. So I'm going to go ahead and read the narrative. If you want to follow along from John chapter 21, we're going to begin in verse 1 and take it through verse 19. Uh, but let's listen to this narrative uh, together from the Word of God, the Gospel of John, chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples were together. And I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with the fish on it and some bread. So Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. God, I ask that your word would come alive in our hearts and minds today. Holy Spirit, as we listen to Jesus speaking to Peter, may we also hear your voice speaking to us. We pray this in the power and authority of your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in this scene, after uh, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and this is an addition, by the way, it's pretty clear. If you read John chapter 20, there's a really good ending. I mean, John ends it. So this is like an additional scene, a director's cut, if you will. They got together, or John decided, you know what, this story is too important. It's too important to leave out. It has to make its way in there. And then if you read the end of the chapter, it's got a very similar ending to chapter 20. Um, but what that does to me is it even heightens the importance of this story, that they decided that this cannot be left out. This is important. 
So Simon Peter and the disciples, they're back fishing. They're back doing what they know how to do. They're back doing what they grew up doing on the same, maybe the same boat, but definitely the same lake in the same place that they had fished all of their lives, where they had been fishing years before they ever met Jesus or heard about Jesus or had any of the things happen. They went all the way back to the beginning to what was familiar. That sound about right to anybody? After you've been through a very a very hard, intense, tumultuous time, you talk about death and resurrection, sometimes you just want to go back to what's familiar. You want to go back to what you know. And they're fishing all night. And Jesus comes and stands on the shore. And even though he had appeared to them before, they don't recognize that it's him. I love that in the post-resurrection gospels. On the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize it was Jesus. And Jesus said, have you caught any fish? Oh, don't fishermen love to hear that? <laughs> Isn't that what you're standing there on the side of the lake and have you caught anything? I've learned not to say that to people fishing because it generally doesn't get received very well, you know, unless they happen to have caught something great, you know, which I'm always hoping for. But, and they said, no, we haven't. You know, you can hear the tone in their voice. He said, try the other side of the boat. And they're probably like, yeah, right. Except that this is the exact same scenario as when they first met Jesus. It was the same lake. They were also fishing all night. They also had not caught anything. They also were told to go on the other side of the boat. And they, all of a sudden, they had so many fish they couldn't handle. And they came to shore and they said, who are you? What are you doing? And Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is the exact same scenario some three and a half years later. But now it's after everything has happened. Boy, when that net filled with fish, you had to know what was going through their minds. John speaking in the third person, which John loves to do. You know, he's a, he's a bit of a prima donna in my mind. The one that Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter, as soon as he knows, right? So Peter has gone through a lot. Peter's struggling, you know, in, in my contention. But at the same time, he's seen Jesus a couple times. It doesn't keep him from wanting to be with Jesus. In fact, he's so excited or or bewildered or in amazement or what, he puts on his outer garment and jumps out of the boat. Now, I've always found that strange because if I'm going to jump into the water, I usually take off my jacket. I usually don't put on a jacket to jump into the water. So maybe the water was cold. I don't know. Maybe he was confused. I don't know. But for the early church, when you were going to visit or be in the presence of someone that had great honor and respect, you put a garment on. So it may just be a little note that this is about to be a wholly important encounter. And I'm like, ah, that kind of makes sense to me. I remember being a kid in the summertime, and my brother and I were often told by my dad we had to wear a shirt to eat dinner at the table. You know, that was just one of the things we had to do. And I think there's something that indicates this is going to be a holy encounter. This is a holy moment. You don't come shirtless when you're going to have breakfast with Jesus. So anyhow, they get there, they're dragging the net behind him. And you know, this story was written by fishermen, right? I know there's a couple fishermen in the room, right? Because they tell you how many fish they caught. We caught 153 large fish. We just want you to know, by the way, you know, and our nets still held up. I mean, you can, right? you know, a fisherman wrote this story. You know that this is true right here. And Jesus already has fish. That's another one of my favorite parts about the story. He's like, they got a whole bunch of fish, but he's already got some cooking with some bread on the fire, and he says, bring what you have, and let's have breakfast together. Quick side note, it's so great that this this story is being told with the celebration of communion today, because the early church saw this as a communion story. In fact, if you heard the language when I said it, he took bread and gave it to them. I mean, they saw the communion in this story. In fact, 
according to the art of the catacombs, for the first 300 years of Christianity, the primary symbol for communion was bread and fish, not bread in a cup. That came later. But the bread and the fish were the symbol of communion for the early church, according to what we know from the catacombs and research, for about the first 300 years of Christianity. So this is a holy moment. This is an encounter with Christ. This is communion that the early church saw. This was an important thing that was about to happen. And there's one more detail before I get into this beautiful conversation between Jesus and Peter. It's the charcoal fire or the fire of coals. The fire of coals. John only uses that word twice. And it's the same word he uses to describe the fire that Peter was standing at when he denied Jesus. And the same fire that he and Jesus are standing at when Jesus is about to restore him. Do you know the power of smell and memory? Do you know how just that smell again might have started to bring up some of those emotions, right? I'd only been married about a year. I was 22 years old, and my wife's father passed away unexpectedly. Uh, from cancer. And it was very hard and it was difficult, not something you expect, you know, at 22 years old in your first year of marriage. And so uh, we were living in Denver, Colorado at the time, and we had left our apartment to go somewhere. It was the summertime. And I remember walking to the car and getting in and getting ready to start the car. And, and I don't see Jenny. I'm like, where's, where's Jenny? I don't see her. I look in the rearview mirror. I don't see her. I'm like, did she go back inside for something? So I wait a couple of minutes and I'm thinking, I don't know where she is. I better go find her, you know. <laughs> I've only been married a year. So I get out of the car and I walk around to the back and she's just knelt down behind the car and she's crying. She's weeping. I said, what's the matter? And she said, somebody was barbecuing and I smelled it and it reminded me of my dad. And I just needed a moment. That's the power of this scene. That's the power of being taken back to a painful past that even the smells is bringing you back into that moment where the feelings and the emotions can also be felt again. And then we have this conversation. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? We want to look at those two things first. Simon, son of John, and then secondly, do you love me more than these? Why is it significant that he says, Simon, son of John? Because that was Peter's name. That was his given name. That was his family name. That was the name his family had called him all of his life and would still continue to call him, right? You know, I know we're way out here not in Hartford, but can I get an amen? Does somebody know that, right? It don't matter what you call yourself now, your mom will always call you what she called you, right? And sometimes you meet people and their parents call them a name and you're like, whoa, I didn't know you had that name. You know, I very rarely heard my father, Kenneth, called Kenny. But when I first heard him called Kenny, I was like, oh yeah, my dad was a kid once too, right? He takes him back to his family name, Simon, son of John. I mean, there's an intimacy there. there there's, a, there's a personal knowledge of I know who you are because I know who you were and I know where you come from because it was Jesus that changed Simon's name to Peter. And Peter means the rock. It's Petra, literally the rock. So a better translation of his name is probably Rocky. I mean, this is Rocky, because the rock is already taken. We know that. We'll call him Rocky. Well, Rocky's already taken, too. Whatever. And that signified what he was going to do, right? And Jesus said, because you're going to be the rock. You're going to be the foundation of this new church that I'm building, of this new movement. You are going to be a leader in this new community that I'm developing. Your name is now the rock. But after Peter failed, after he denied Jesus, Jesus takes him back and says, Simon, 
Simon. He takes him back in order to move him forward. In fact, I, I see a great uh, image in, in, you notice in the text, his name is used Simon Peter most often. Both names. And isn't it true that we are both our past and our future? And when those things come together, we begin to see God at work in our life in a powerful way. So the message here is that Jesus knows you. And he knows you by your name that only the closest people to you could call you. Or the name that your parents gave to you. And he says, do you love me more than these? More than these? More than what? Do you love me more than these other disciples? Do you love me more than this miracle that just happened? You know, are you just looking for another miracle? Do you love me more than being a fisherman? Because now after everything's said and done, it looks like you're trying to go back to being a fisherman again. Do you love me more than anything else? And he asked him three times the same question. And in the Greek, there's two different words for love that are used. Jesus uses the word agape, which is the Greek form for the highest kind of love, unconditional. Peter responds with phileo, which is brotherly love. And the last time, Jesus uses phileo, which is brotherly love, and Peter responds. Some commentators make a lot out of this, saying that there's this higher form of love that Jesus is calling Peter to. Peter can't quite match it, and so Jesus comes to his level, and then they match together. There's some merit in that. But other scholars and other translators say, you know what, it's also true that John was a creative writer, and he liked to use synonyms. He didn't like to use the same word for things over and over. And here's my contention today, that in the context of this relationship, there's not much difference between the words, and maybe the two together give us a full understanding of the kind of love that was going on between them. For if Jesus had a best friend while he was on earth, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone other than Peter that was his best friend. And when you're that close, when you have a best friend that's like a brother, right? When you have someone that you're that tight with, right? Wouldn't you die for them? Wouldn't you do anything for them, right? Wouldn't you have your kind of brotherly love would be so close to agape love that as my dad used to say, I wouldn't want to live on the difference. In this context, what's most important is that Jesus asks him three times. And Peter gets to say three times, yes, I love you. Because Peter denied Jesus three times. And it's important because it's restoration. You see, Jesus, when Peter denied Jesus the third time, one of the gospel writers says Jesus looked at him in the eye. Can you imagine that moment? And Peter ran away in shame and wept. Now, around the same fire of burning coals, Jesus is looking Peter in the eye again and giving him a chance to say that he loves Jesus more than anything else. And Jesus is looking not with eyes of condemnation, but with eyes of compassion. Not excusing or ignoring Peter's past, but dealing with it and restoring him in a comprehensive and compassionate way. There's intentionality to this restoration. It's not like, oh, don't worry about it. It's all good. Nothing ever happened. No, you can see the process. Jesus is walking him through this painful memory in order to heal that painful memory. And sometimes we miss the healing because we avoid the painful process that that healing might entail. Or we think we can't be restored, but really we're afraid of the pain of that restoration. But sometimes the pain is necessary so that we can be fully healed from it and fully restored and realize that we can move forward into the future that God has for us regardless of what we've done in the past. Jesus always restores. Jesus always 
restores. That is the goal of everything that Jesus does is to restore. And if there was any way, shape, or form where Peter felt like, I messed up, I blew it, Jesus doesn't want to use me anymore, I'll go back to fishing. Jesus takes Simon and restores him to Peter and calls forth the best in Peter's character because he knows that he wants him to grow and continue to be the person that God has called him to be. Jesus knows us and Jesus restores us. Then Jesus says two more things I want to focus on in our remaining time. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then he says, follow me. And feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. I believe that Jesus is, is giving Peter a new assignment. A new assignment. For Peter was a fisherman. And when Jesus called him the first time, he said, follow me. I will make you fisher of men, right? But now he says, I want you to be a shepherd. Which interestingly in Spanish, the word for shepherd is pastor. So they make it very clear what a pastor is. A shepherd. That you're now going to be a leader, a shepherd of my people. You know, you were a fisherman. And that was your assignment for a while. And now you're trying to go back to being a fisherman because, you know, that's kind of what you know. And you're not sure uh, of my promise for your future. But now it's time to put down the fishing pole and to pick up the shepherd's staff and to lead my people. And yes, Peter, you can do it. You can do it and you will do it. And this is my invitation to you is to feed my sheep. Now, there's a difference between assignment and calling, if I can say that this morning. A calling is what Jesus says to follow me. We all have that calling, right? You can't be a Christian. There's no other way. If I can just say it simply, you know, it means to follow Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, you're not a Christian. But so what about believing in Jesus? Well, that's important. That's when we call on God. Remember Peter, after this restoration, preached the first great sermon on Pentecost. Quoting the prophet Joel, he said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So when we call on the name of the Lord, when we call on Jesus, when we say, I believe in you, that's us calling on God. But then God calls on us. You see what I'm saying? So belief and faith in Jesus is us calling on God and receiving salvation, but then calls on us to follow him. Follow me. But the assignment can change. Jesus tells Peter first, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Now he says, follow me and feed my sheep. Sometimes we get it confused. It's important to know that assignments can be seasonal, but a call is forever. Now, some people may have something that they do that's so deep within them that you call it your calling. And I'm not trying to speak against that. Someone might be a doctor and say, I know that I'm called to be a doctor. But even within that calling to be a doctor, there may be different assignments throughout your life. And I think it's important to remember that. Because I think as we're all coming out of this pandemic and the years of tumult that we've faced and with everything going on in the world, I think God is reaffirming his call to us. I still want you to follow me, but he may have a new assignment for you. You may not be able to go back to fishing anymore, if I can say it that way. There may be a new road that you need to follow Christ on. And he tells them one more thing about the following. It's going to look different this time. It's going to be a lot harder. In fact, for Peter and the disciples and even the Apostle Paul, it all ended in death. You know, and not a pleasant death at that. There was suffering. They said, this time it's going to look a little different. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to go. But now someone else is going to dress you and stretch out your arms and take you where you don't want to go. It's going to look different in this following. It's going to be harder. You're going to have to redefine what success means in life if you're going to follow me into this next phase. And following Christ wherever he wants to take us means that suffering is certain. 
and that success will need to be redefined. So here's the two things for application I'd like you to consider this morning. As we prepare to meet Jesus in communion, the same way the disciples met him on the beach by the fire of coals. First thing, failure is not fatal and failure is not final. Your past, whatever it is, will not prevent God's future from being fulfilled in your life. It will not. God will not allow it to happen. Your past will not prevent God's future in your life. Now, there may be things that you can't do anymore, but they may be like my own desires, my own goals, right? But what God has for me, what God has set out for me, what God has ordained for me, what God wants for me, my past will not disqualify me from that. Because there's always forgiveness and there's always restoration if we're willing, right, through all of the mixed emotions to come to Jesus, right, and to receive his love and to reaffirm our love and to be restored. Restoration is part of the process for us, for everybody else, for the whole world. Paul says the whole creation is waiting for the children of God to be revealed. It's groaning. It's waiting. Restoration is what God is doing. And what God is doing will be done. Can I get an amen from a couple saved people here today? It's what he will do. And that's so encouraging. Sometimes we've got to go back to go forward. But know that whatever has happened in your past, whatever mistakes you've made, if I can say this and hear this with all the compassion and the love of God, whatever losses you've suffered in the past few years, whatever kind of losses, Jesus redeems and Jesus restores. And Jesus heals. And the second thing is that success, it, it won't look the way we think it'll look. <laughs> success will look a little different when we follow Jesus Christ. Because the world has a definition of success. The world tells us, you know, what makes success. And we kind of, you know, buy into that. And we, we kind of, you know, hitch our wagon to that horse. And we say, this is what's going to make it good for us. This is what the good life is. But Jesus, in letting Peter know what's going to happen, and a little bit about how it's going to happen, he say, it's not going to look like you think it's going to look, it's going to look a little different as we move forward. You know, for someone like Peter, someone like myself and Ryan, who is a pastor, whose assignment is to pastor, shepherd the sheep, um, it's not about the size of your flock. It's about how well you care for the sheep that you have. That's one thing God has taught me. It's not the size of the flock, but it's how well I care for the people I have. Let me say it a few other ways before I get out of here this morning. It's not how many followers you have on social media. It's how well you follow Jesus Christ. It's not about how much money you make. It's not about getting all of the things that you want in life. I know somebody doesn't like to hear that. It's not about getting all the things you want in life, but it's about learning to trust a God who has given you and will continue to give you everything you need. And that you will begin to find satisfaction and great joy in that. You see, for when we follow Jesus wherever Jesus wants to take us, anywhere and everywhere, and when we learn in the following to accept life as we find it, we discover that what Jesus wants is not the best life for us, but the best us for life. Let me say that again. Jesus doesn't want the best life for us. He wants the best us for life because Jesus is more concerned about character than accomplishments. Can I get an amen or just a head nod? I don't know how you do it here. Okay, all right. He cares more about character than accomplishments because what Jesus wants us to do is quite simply this, to love God, 
to love each other and to love ourselves. Because you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you're treating yourself poorly. You see how that doesn't quite work, does it? And in all of this, there would be such a temptation for Peter to beat himself up. For Peter to say, I'm disqualified, I can no longer do it. And for him to even wonder if he could love God after he had denied God, basically abandoned him in his darkest hour. But this whole thing is to say, listen, Peter, you can still love me and you can still love others and take care of my sheep. And through it all, I want you to know that I still love you, that you're still worthy. You still are Peter and I will still continue to build my church upon you, Simon, son of John, who now I'm going to call Rocky for the rest of your life. Amen. Let us pray. I want to ask you in this moment just to picture yourself, if you will, if you want, standing on the beach with Jesus this morning. And just picture Jesus saying your name. Just saying your name. And just giving you that opportunity. Saying, Phil, son of Kenny, do you love me? And just give you a moment here in this quietness to express your love for Jesus. Just take a moment and do that. And maybe there's some here today who need a healing and forgiveness from something in your past. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to heal you and forgive you this morning? Maybe some of you need to say, okay, Jesus, I believe you forgive me. And I need to forgive myself. Because if you really believe it, you won't hold it against yourself either. Do you need to go back to go forward? Is there any amends that you need to make with anybody or anything today? Do you need to come to peace with anything? Holy Spirit, please heal us. Jesus Christ, forgive us. Spirit of the living God, restore us completely and compassionately today. And then for many of us in this room and many listening, I'm sure you've heard the call of Jesus Christ to come follow me. Come follow me. But today I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit, what is my assignment? Jesus, I've heard your call. What is my assignment? Maybe someone's trying to go back to something and it's not working. You're just not catching any fish. Maybe Jesus is inviting you to something else. Maybe some of you have been forced into situations that, that you did not want or see. God is with you on that road. Even if someone else is quote-unquote dressed you and led you where you don't want to go. Trust that Jesus is there with you. Holy Spirit, we seek your wisdom and your guidance. Spirit of truth, would you guide us and teach us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.